Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm Glenn Holmstrom, Professor of Art at Newman University. In this podcast, Carrie Hustwit, filmmaker and assistant professor of communication and digital media at Newman University, and Megan Griffiths, an award-winning writer-director whose work includes six feature films and shows for HBO, Epics, TNT, and Netflix, discuss Educating the Future Filmmaker, Theory and Practice. Megan's film, Eden, won the Emergent Narrative Director Award and the Audience Award for Narrative Feature at South by Southwest 2012. Megan, so good to see you. Good to hear you. <laughs> so Megan and I are um, old film school mates. Uh, we went to Ohio University School of Film together. So um, I'm now working as an educator at Newman University within the communication and digital media department. And Megan is a very successful filmmaker out in Seattle. So I thought it would be kind of a fun thing to interview a working filmmaker. Um, and the topic that I thought about, just because it's on my mind a lot um, when I'm teaching, is how do we sort of integrate theory and practice when it comes to teaching filmmakers? And I think that, Megan, your work is, to me, so compelling and thoughtful and complex. And so I thought talking to you about this subject would be and I'd love to hear what you have to say. I thought maybe we could start with our experience in film school and just how that maybe influenced you later that you felt were, um, you know, in terms of theory and practice, that if, if that sort of integrated well at OU and how that might compare to other film schools. I know, I don't know if you have friends that, you know, had a different experience, but maybe we could start there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, don't, I haven't really compared notes with too many other people who have attended various different film schools. It seemed to me at the time, the big difference with OU was the was its location. You know, it's sort of in the middle of nowhere, right. um, which I think it had its pluses and minuses. It was, it was a, a you know, not an easy place to to translate your, you know, to go right from being in school to being to working because uh, there was a lot of connections to be made um, to the industry itself but it was a great place to be for in terms of focus and making sure that like I, I always think of it as like I was either uh, making a film working on somebody else's film watching a film um, <laughs> or like going out with filmmakers to talk about film. So it was, it was like a very, you know, uh, concentrated three years of, of like immersion in film. Um, so for that was like a, the big plus side for it being so sort of isolated. Um, and, uh, and then it, yeah, it, it was really just a, you know, three years of, of, of just getting to, I, I love too that we all got to make, you know, we were all encouraged to make a short film every year. Um, at least one, you know, and that was part of our our process. I know there's other schools where, you know, they'll pick a, a script and then everybody sort of works on one person's project. And I'm so grateful that I left with my own films, um, a reel of my own films and a reel of cinematography, which is something I was focusing on then. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I've noticed um, 
when I look at old sort of structures for the classes I'm teaching now, professors will approach it in that way where they have a, a one script that's sort of voted on by the class and then they work on that as a group. And my just natural way of approaching things is that everybody makes their own. Um, so it seems a little unique, I guess, in that way. But I felt the same way that it, it was such a, an important process to, to make your own work um, every year. And also, of course, play different roles on the crew um, for other people's films. Yeah, that was huge. Like to be able, like I worked in so many different aspects of of the set um, when I was in school, and then I ended up, you know, doing a lot of those jobs when I was trying to make, you know, early living in this business. I was, you know, I started out trying to be a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was in school, I focused on that thinking, like, who makes a living as a director? I should have, you know, a, a more practical focus. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wanted, I always wanted to direct, but I came out of school with a, with a cinematography reel and tried to get work that way. And I, I worked on lots of um, shorts and features as a DP, but they were all really small and it wasn't exactly a good living. And then uh, our mutual friend Todd Rohal made a film in Pennsylvania and asked me if I would be the assistant director which is not a job I had ever done on a set even at school um, and I just was like sure I mean it's better probably to have somebody doing that job than no one and I'll come out and do it and, um, and then I ended up doing that for five years and you know any any experience on set is good for you, you know it, it feeds the the knowledge base that you draw from when you're directing. So every time I'm on set now, I like I use my AD skills all the time. I use my PP skills all the time. I edited too for myself and other people, which is something I learned to do in school. So there was a lot of a lot of things that I just uh, sort of got to do in film school that I used. That I concept I you know I used it two days ago on set. Uh-huh, <laughs> so, uh-huh. Yeah, I find that really interesting because I don't think there are that's. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't seem typical that people have had that sort of trajectory. I don't, maybe it's been different in your experience. But oh, it's weird trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was actually one of my questions a little further along. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't mind jumping around. Um, how do you think that that, I mean, informs you as somebody who comes from, um, you know, working as a DP or having that experience and that, I mean, now you also worked in a film lab, so you did do color correction or while you were at Alpha Cine? <laughs> I did a really weird job at Alpha Cine. Um, they, they had a, a, a contract with Mattel, the toy company. Uh-huh. And, um, so they created all the little discs that go into those Viewmaster toys, those little 3D goggles, uh-huh. like through all the images. And so I would like shoot the, the film that would go into those discs. Oh, okay, okay. Be glamorous. <laughs> Someone's got to do that, though. Someone's got to do it. it was, and they were great. And they're out of business now, unfortunately, Alpha Cine Film Lab, as are most film labs. But, yeah. Like, such yeah. a good way for me to have a paycheck when I was starting out in this business. I They were such a good employer to me. They would let me, like, take leaves of absence for a month and go work on something and then just come right back and start doing my job again, which is just such a gift. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, I really have so much appreciation for for that lab and what the and the, the the part they played in like supporting my early career. Right, that's pretty amazing. But to answer your question, I mean, I think it, you know having under you know working as a cinematographer, you you know you're, you're working with um, you know the, you're working to create the lighting and and you're working with camera department and you're working with 
you're, you know, you know, you're, you're focused so much on what's in front of the camera. So includes like production design and costume design and all those things, the visual aspect of film. So, you know, doing that for my film school years and in the five years after school, um, gave me so much good, um, language to communicate with people who do that on sets that I'm the director. And so I can, you know, I can have conversations with the, um, you know, with, with all those different people, the, you know, the DP and everything and talk about like what lens I want and, you know, talk right. about, um, and, you know, if I can communicate it when I think something's not right in terms of how we're lighting and if it's like we're going in the wrong direction in terms of, you know, if it's, if we're going for too, if it's too high contrast or if there's the light's not soft enough or whatever. And I don't tend to get that detailed with DPs like, on a, like on set would usually have those conversations leading up to the production or it's a TV environment where there's a look that's already been established but right. it's still to be it's still really useful to be able to talk about uh, lens choice and, and understand like what the DP is talking about and and communicate that way and then as far as like I spent five years being a first assistant director and that's for those who, who are listening who don't know is like the person who runs the set and communicates everything that's happening and is about to happen to everyone on the set to try to make things run as efficiently as possible. So understanding, having done that and understanding what all the different department heads need from need, it, like in terms of information in order to do their jobs efficiently and effectively, always is the, it's the most effect, it's the most useful thing to me on set now as a director, because I, um, I can, I know I can sort of cut through a lot of, um, a lot of haze and just give them the piece of information they need and and then it, it's easier for me to get the thing I need um, so it's, I use it all the time and then also just being on set in all those different roles um, allowed me to kind of gain a level in that environment and um, I worked with a lot of first-time directors when I was in those roles and I can tell you that being uncomfortable and fearful on set is a real hindrance and so mm -hmm had the opportunity to sit on set in so many different roles and so many different people's projects and you know kind of work my way through that discomfort and feel at home in that environment just is like the best now i you know can walk on a set anywhere and feel like i understand what's happening around me and, and right. what my place is on it right yeah. every every element of it yeah and do you think this is sort of skipping ahead to some other things i wanted to talk about but i feel like when i watch your work it's very much your work you know I feel like when I you know when I put on a Megan Griffiths film I'm watching something that you made I can just feel it immediately um, and I think that some of those um, you know like you have these really atmospheric shots I feel like your characters tend to be feel you know lonely and isolated and that comes across in um, in the way that you shoot it they're not very um, you know talkative yet you give us this emotional sort of um, access to them in a way that doesn't even register for me this is my own experience watching your work until a certain point and then I find myself being really like feeling really emotional because I feel like I had some insight into this character in this one moment and I realized it was sort of building up to that you know while I was watching it so that's just my <laughs> my feeling that's about awesome I, that's so <laughs> nice to hear because that's that is my my what I feel like my number one goal with anything is is to sort of build empathy for the characters and um, you know whether they're making choices people 
our you know audiences are on board with. I want people to be able to sort of understand why the choices are being made and what where that person's coming from. Right. And so that I feel like is the sort of connective tissue between all the films I've made, which is which are kind of all over the place in terms of genre. Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of you know drama stuff, and there's a little comedy, and there's a little sort of thrillery vibe. Um, and there's so there's lots of you kind of moving around the genre spectrum, but um, but I. I, I always want it to be sort of really character driven and for the audience to have a window into what's going on behind those characters' decisions. And so hearing you say that is really great because I that's the goal for me for sure. So yeah, that, uh, yeah. I, and I wonder how like I'm wondering if you're you know sort of being knowledgeable on all these levels in terms of like um, making as a craft um seems like it would influence that of course um in your use of you know lighting and lenses and and the shot and um i know you're also a writer um but i guess how how do you um in terms of like theory i guess how do you or i try one of the things that's really hard for me is that i'm teaching you know students and all of us are inundated with with images our whole especially now you know and there's so many kind of stereotypical images that we're seeing and um, and I think that people just sort of have that embedded in their brains. So even without knowing it, they're kind of just recreating that for the screen because filmmaking is hard. There's so many pieces of it. So just to get something out there is an accomplishment, you know, but um, then the, the stage of sort of like figuring out how am I translating this script to screen in a way that is, you know, empathetic um, and that, you know, that is effective and, and gives me sort of access to these com um, complex characters that aren't just sort of like a trope. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's really, it's, it can be a really weird line to walk between utilizing film language, which is something that has been developed over the years because of the fact that people realize that doing, you know, putting a camera in a certain place or lighting in a certain way, mm -hmm. um, makes audiences feel a specific way. Um, and so it's a really, you know, utilizing film language and kind of learning from the things that people have done over the, you know, century plus of filmmaking is, is, a, you know, of course we all have to do that, but then there's also when you, when it, when it crosses over into something, when you're just kind of, uh, you know, painting by numbers and, and doing what everybody else does, like, oh, it's this kind of scene. So I'm going to shoot it this kind of way. You want to have some sort of, uh, you know, it's hard to have innovation when you're, when you're just kind of going along with whatever other people have done. So yeah, it's, it's sort of a fine line, but I, I do, I love studying a genre when, if I'm going to start making a film or, or TV episode that is in a genre I haven't worked in before, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll usually do like a deep dive into movies or TV that, that are in that genre and, and try to understand, like kind of look for, the film language choices and what's effective for me. Like, for example, I was watching, I was supposed to direct a horror movie that never ended up coming together. And I did this deep dive into horror, mm -hmm. like great horror movies. And I'm kind of a wimp in terms of as a viewer. So yeah. uh, it was, it was a little torturous, but, um, <laughs> but I, um, I did uh, watch a ton of stuff and I would do this thing where if I started getting really tense and freaked out, I would pause the movie and say, what is it? What are they doing right now? That's having this effect on me. Like how's that working? They're making in terms of where the camera is, the music, you know, all these different choices yeah. you make as a filmmaker. Um, you know, because if 
they turn the lights on and just, you know, show the whole room, I wouldn't be scared, you know, right, like, right, right. because of what they're doing. So I, oh, I love film language and, and watching it have an effect on people. And when I made my film Eden, which is like, has some thriller aspects and but it is centrally about like a human trafficking survivor and we made a really specific choice when we were my dp and i when we were getting ready to shoot the film um in terms of when we would be subjective with the camera and when we'd be objective with the camera and um and you know because the character sort of sinks into the surroundings that she's in and becomes part of this organization and then at a certain point sort of a switch flips for her and she realizes what she's become and she she snaps out of it and so we we tried to be really subjective in the moments where we're initially going into this trafficking facility and and seeing how she's you know seeing it and feeling yeah. it and then as she's sort of becoming part of the organization we went back to more objective mm-hmm. no making choices and then later you know snap back to subjective at the end and it was great to, to make that choice and go and take that through the project and then have the film show and have people write about it and see them write about that and see how it, they, they recognized it and they felt it even if they didn't say the camera was subjective versus objective they said like I really felt like I was experiencing it through her eyes and I you know those kind of things where it's just like that's what we are going for, and it's so nice to see when that um, when those choices translate like that. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I just watched Eden um, about a week or two ago, and you know, I, I spoke with you about it a few years back, and I kind of couldn't watch it. <laughs> I was no, a <laughs> talk about a wimp. I'm a, I'm a wimp when it comes to doing a lot of different types of um, films, and just because I have you know daughters and. Um, yeah. And I have to say, it was an incredibly emotional experience, but it wasn't. I didn't need to be afraid of what I was, I don't know, a lot of, I feel like you steered so clear of like any kind of salacious, you know, the way that you filmed it. And I did notice that, especially in the scene where, um, you know, when she first arrives in the facility and she wakes yeah. up and also when she's taken to her first, that sort of S&M kind of, you know, porn um, videotaping scene. And I was kind of like, Oh God, like, what's this going to be? And because it's, you showed just the horror and fear from her perspective only and used sound and um, and sort of POV shots to, um, to show what she was going through. And I thought that it was so effective, so much more effective than it would have been if you were more objective with the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, that's, I, I feel like you always like walk a fine line when you have that kind of content, like it can become really salacious or it can become, you know, something else. And that's what it should be. (laughs) And that's a, you know, it's an ethical decision. I think that's, um, you know, for me, the thing that got me was I I did feel like it was a thriller. I was like thinking with my um, fist sort of clenched, like what's going to happen? It really felt like sort of a a thriller um, in a way that I didn't expect. Um, uh, But yeah, and it also was this sort of emotional um, kind of insight into what this person was going through. So I think that, like, you know, you chose to do that. Someone else would choose to do it a different way. And I think that's the part to me that's kind of like, you know, there are so many questions and choices you have to make as a director. And how do we kind of talk to young people about that process and not present things in a way, um, you know, that feels um, you talked about like the way that violence is presented as being, you know, glorified or fetishized or that sort of thing. Like, how do you take subject matter that is difficult and not presented in that way? Totally. And we that was the conversation we had on that movie specifically. We had that conversation 
about violence and we had the conversation about sex, how to depict sexuality. Yeah. And they really didn't want to make a movie about human trafficking where the girls seemed sexy to any audience member. Right. Um, Right. Just and but yet they're wearing like very, very little clothing, and so we made very specific choices about costumes in order to um, sort of like have everything be sort of ill-fitting, and um, mm-hmm. and just like it was you know from a box or of random clothes that they sort of throw on whatever girl is going out. So that idea of like really trying to be thoughtful about those choices, and then the violence aspect. You know, I really didn't want people to be you know, turning away or watching it through their fingers or whatever, you know, when right. you feel thing that you won't be able to handle is going to happen on screen. You just like want to turn it off or walk away. And I just always wanted to ride that line of having things, you feel that there's violent things happening and you feel that there's like sort of sexually degrading things happening, but you don't have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like the audience is pretty sophisticated and they their imaginations will take them there um, if you give them just enough uh, sort of fodder and then they and then they can just imagine what's happening just off screen and it it's probably worse than what I would ever shoot you know right right so why even try to go there and you know I I think that too like the impact for me it sort of resonated at long after I the movie was over so it still was incredibly emotional um, but it wasn't, yeah, I didn't have to be afraid. Like you said, look through the watch through your fingers kind of thing. You could sort of, ex- you know, experience this with this person. Yeah. With that movie, I got a lot of people saying like, it took me a really long time to get around to this, to watching this, but then I yeah. watched it and I'm so glad I watched it. It was, yeah. and I think that, you know, we had that experience with distributors too, because everyone was scared that no one would want to subject themselves to it, you right. know, and, Right. You know, but everybody be like, you know, I really loved it and I was so moved by it. But then I'm worried that people are going to want to go see it and it's going to be hard. Yeah. 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 So Uh, it's a tricky one that way. Absolutely. And I I've, when I watched it, I was kind of like, I could have, I could have watched this before. Although it still was really devastating afterwards to just think about it, you know. I mean, good. I'm glad it's devastating. You know, it should be devastating. (laughs) But it's also important to see. The other thing that I really um, admired about it was, you know, it's so easy too to make villains really easy to hate. Um, and that can be this cathartic experience when you watch a typical, you know, movie with a hero and a villain. Um, and I feel like your character, so the character um, that I don't know exactly, Matt O'Leary, I think was the actor. Um, yeah. 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 So at one point I, I'm, I'm like rooting for him against these, frat boy types you know when he takes and it was so bizarre to feel that way to feel like you know rooting for this guy who is part of this human human trafficking you know ring and doing these horrible things like how am I you know so these issues of class and um you know all these other things sort of come in and you're developing a character that's way more complicated um and other characters too I think you know the nurse character in that movie um you know you just you just get uh, a way more sort of fully formed um, representation of them. Yeah, that's great to hear because that was something I was really concerned about when I first got this project sort of on my desk, you know, before I had um, done my work on the script and before I agreed to direct it, I was worried about uh, making a movie where like 
95% of the people in it are bad guys, you know, like, right. Right. Because it's, you know, if they're, if they're one note, you know, that's going to get pretty boring pretty fast, you know? And so I really wanted to, like the first thing I did, I did a pass on the script after I got it. And the first thing I did, even before I started that, that writing process was, um, I created backstories for all of the people who worked at the trafficking facility um, mm -hmm. to make it make sense to me how they could have wound up there right. um, okay. and like you know what trajectory someone's life could take them in that would sort of land them in that position and right. you know I don't think there's a lot of people who are <laughs> who are looking for that lifestyle or for or probably even happy that they've wound up in it but mm -hmm. um, but yeah there's a lot of thoughts around um, like you said, like class stuff and also the military and, mm -hmm. and, and how it sort of trains people to other people. And, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of those kind of thoughts I had about how each of these people could have landed there. And, um, and that really helped me writing and it really helped me you know directing the actors for that because it's not like you want to get on set and be like so you're a bad guy and you do that you twirl your mustache and sit in the corner and think bad thoughts you know it's like yeah. everything's multifaceted and layered and like a character who's you know uh you know a drug addict and the human trafficker like that character you're talking about Vaughn is also someone who might have some disdain for the way these frat boys are treating this girl you know, and so it's like there's, you know, you don't want to make him a hero or anything or excuse his inexcusable behavior. But it's right. also, you know, people are way more complicated than than that. We need to, you know, it's I think it's important to look at people as a whole and, mm -hmm. and try to, you know, think about, you know, have that empathetic view of how they got there, what, why they made those choices and then it makes I feel like it this translates through a lot of my stuff too especially my most recent film Sadie where it's like you, when you look at people's choices and you're and you're seeing where things might have gone wrong for them I think mm -hmm. hopefully then turns the, the camera around a little bit and makes the audience sort of think about the people in their lives and how they're treating other people and, and whether they're have they have any culpability into forming uh, people in their you know, the people in their world into people like the ones they're seeing on screen and how they can avoid that, you know. So um, that's my hope anyway. Right, right, right. So speaking of Sadie, I know that you, um, you know, you were kind of talking a lot and um, sort of investigating the way violence is represented in film. Um, how did you, can you talk about that process? This is kind of the thing that I'm, um, you know, that I really want to hone in on is that I want, you know, students of film to think, you know, pretty long and hard about their images and the way that they are representing, not just sort of like plugging something into that formula, but, you know, that this is an important, every image that they create, they're responsible for putting out there. Yeah. So, um, so how did you kind of maybe research that or think about violence and, and as you were working on the script and, you know, when you were filming? Yeah, I mean, it was something like I just, you know, this, the script sort of came out of more watching the news than anything, just thinking about all these kids who were, you know, finding guns and shooting up schools and, um, yeah. you know, taking and seeing this modeling, sort of adults modeling this, just the fact that 
violence can be a solution to their problems or guns can be a solution to their problems. And um, it, you know, it's, it's a fairly, it's, you know, I wrote this, this script in 2009, so it's been a while and it unfortunately hasn't really shifted much um, in terms of how, you know, my hope for, <laughs> for this, but uh, uh, they're, they're, I just started thinking about how we have this culture of people who have come of age when we've been, you know, technically at war for all this time. So our nation is using violence to solve problems. They're seeing all around them these mass shootings and and hate crimes and all these things that happen that are people trying to use violence to solve whatever they feel like their problem is, you know, societally. And so I think it only makes sense that kids absorb that stuff and that if that's not addressed in their life by the people that, you know, their role models and parents and stuff, then they're just taking in what society is giving them and then we're just creating a new generation of people who are gonna use violence to solve problems. Um, and so I was, I'm just, I, I think about that a lot. I think it's really, it, it kind of keeps me up at night. And mm -hmm. so to kind of make a movie about, um, about it and just the idea that, uh, that kids absorb everything. And yeah. so this character Sadie is, you know, the main character of the film. And she's a young daughter of a soldier. She knows her dad's off serving in the military and she feels what he's doing is very righteous and she idolizes him and then also you know she lives in the u.s and she sees the society we all live in and and uh and she has a you know there's you know she she takes in media that you know depicts violence and video games that depict violence and it's like a kind of a cumulative thing i didn't want to make a movie like saying that the thesis was like video games cause people to be violent but i also didn't want to leave them out of there's like a collective amount of information that we're getting constantly in this culture. And, you know, I, I, it's all, it, the, not, there's not a lot of it that, that's sort of challenging the notion that violence can solve these problems. And so this character is kind of taking all that in and, and then she sees a problem in her life and she, she sort of turns to the, the lessons she's learned from the culture around her to solve her problem. And, and when you watch this audience, you're like, no, 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 don't do that. Right. Like, this is, of course she would, I mean, it makes total sense that, that, that of course she would take. And you chose her that she's at that age. I feel like that's a perfect age for that kind of story to happen. I mean, I almost, I remember being that age and reading like the outsiders, you know, and, and like <laughs> internalizing this idea of like tough boy gangs and wanting to like, I think because as a girl at that age, you have this loss, you know, your sense of your power. Um, and yeah. so like kind of like being drawn towards that idea, it just seemed like the perfect time in this child's life, you know, for that. Yeah. And it's a time of, in the, like something that is like a sort of another level of what the character is going through is like her kind of understanding her own sexuality and, mm -hmm. and, and adult sexuality and like and kind of a, she's just an a character that observes a lot you, you know that yeah. as you're saying like that sort of subjective camera where we're over her shoulder watching what she's watching and then seeing how she's reacting to it right like she's watching adults flirt with each other and trying to figure out like that power dynamic and how she can use it and um and it's just like all these things are soaking in and that age is like it's it's that age where the the so you're you know to use a cheesy word, blossoming, you know, it's like mm -hmm. you're 
becoming a different kind of person as a girl, particularly. Um, and that puberty age, um, that felt like a really important tie-in to me, that yeah. it was like about that and this other violent thing, you know, that they're kind of connected somehow. Sure, sure. The fact that she's drawn to it makes sense and that she's protecting her friend, her, her smaller and, you know, um, kind of, um, I think, you know, the power to be able to protect him is something that's important to her, that she can yeah. do that. Um, I, I wonder too, like, I, because again, like that movie really didn't show any violence, you know, it was, you know, it was about violence, but you didn't portray it on the screen. Um, and I, I was reading a little of um, some of the things you've written as I was researching you a little bit. Um, you wrote about um, Lynn Ramsey's um, film, I think it's called You Were Never Really Here. Is that yeah. Um, I love Ratcatcher. It's one of my favorite movies. She's so brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but I did not see that movie. I, I think that I should watch it. Um, but it sounds like she was sort of grab, like sort of tackling the same topic, but in a very different way. And I yeah. wonder, how do we do it in a way that's not that doesn't step over that line of sort of glorifying it, or you know. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, and I mean, it's like, I guess, you know, you can read other people's work, however, and I'm not sure what her intentions were, but like, for me, it comes down to seeing, you know, I don't think that we should just try to like pull the plug on any media that depicts violence, because it yeah. is part of the world we live in. And I think it, if we're making movies to, to deal with and like ask questions about the world we live in, so it has to be part of it. But mm -hmm. for me, where it comes, where the difference is, is that um, I feel like in that movie, you're never really here, in Sadie and in, in other movies that I think there's other movies that do it well where it's like there's there's an impact on the person who perpetrates the violence. There's a psychological impact um, mm -hmm. that you can see. Like in You Were Never Really Here, Joaquin Phoenix plays the lead and he's like a hitman. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you read my piece you saw, it's like I could never watch another movie about a hitman and be perfectly happy. I feel like there's right. so many. Um, and it's like such an overused thing but like right. what she did that I thought was really fresh with it was look at that hitman as like this shell of a human being who had who was like so damaged and right. you know fact that every act that he commits it's like further damaging him you know mm -hmm. he's doing damage to other people but he's also getting more damaged personally and it's like more it's farther from any sort of redeemable hopeful place and and I thought that was so effective in that movie and I feel like the thing that I worry about is this sort of gleeful non-thoughtful violence that's depicted where it's like people are just kind of shooting other people down and then going along with their day and not having any second thought even about the fact that they've just ended a life and that that change it that that should change a person and I think mm -hmm. in real life that really changes a person you know I've, I've listened to there's this really disturbing um, 911 call that was circulating on the internet probably like five or six years ago mm -hmm. about a young boy who uh, shot his mother and sister I think mm -hmm. and then called 911 and he was he, the most effective part of it to me was that he was talking about how he thought it would feel and it didn't feel like that. Mm. And I felt like that was such an interesting distinction where it's like we young people are watching all these people have this sort of blase, um, you know, experience with 
with doing violent things and just going on with their day and having it be, not, you know, not something that's going to affect the rest of their lives. And then this kid, who of course is going, to, you know, be affected by because he's turning himself in and he's caught, but he's also like realizing in the moment that he has done something awful and that he doesn't know how to deal with it at all. And I feel like that's the reality of doing something violent. Um, and I just almost never see that in any movies or television or video games, that idea that it has an impact on you to do that violent act. Um, and I feel like if people saw that more, if that was connected more in the movies and TV and video games and everything that we watch, the level of people who are sort of aspiring to do these things or gaining or like feeling like, oh, that's, you know, that's I'm, that's a behavior I'm going to model. Like, I feel like that would go down if people realized that there was this all this negative fallout. Right, right. And do you think that, you know, young people are more immune, you know, because of the because of the fact, like oversaturation of media? Because I feel like I try to show them stuff in class that to me is really disturbing, you know, just to, like, you know, even if it's um, something like, something that's just more suspenseful or I feel like they have no, they're like, that was nothing. Or, you know, yeah. um, I, I don't know. The one thing I showed them that disturbed them a few years back was the Andalusian dog, the, you know, the, the shot where they cut the eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that got to them. Yeah, you know? the test of time. That disturbed me in film school too. <laughs> and it still, it still holds up. But, but I do find that, um, <laughs> that I can't shock them really. Not that I'm, you know, trying that hard, but I'm just trying to show like, oh, look at how this scene sort of unfolds. Like there's a scene in Mulholland Drive that I was terrified when I saw that movie and nothing really happens. It's just the storytelling, the camera movement, the acting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to come across in the same way. And I feel like are are they just used to this level of sort of violence that I don't even really know about and kind of immune to it? Because yeah, I mean, sorry. Um, yeah, desensitization of violence is a real thing you know it's like if you are watching it all the time it's like you know uh it, it just it, it's bound to get less impactful as you see it more so i think the fact that there is so much of it depicted in our on our screens that um yeah i, I really do think it's a natural reaction that, the, that young people are having and there are less i mean things are getting more violent because it's harder to impact the audience with it now yeah I'm so used to it right and, uh, and so it's kind of a it's kind of getting worse instead of better right right yeah. so i'm wondering megan like this could be a really long answer too but i i'm just curious about so much has changed you know since you and i finished film school and yeah. you you've been working in in that world for you know ever since graduation um and i'm wondering just some of your insights into how things have changed, what it is to try to be, you know, an independent filmmaker these days. Any, any kind of insights on that? Well, yes, it definitely could be a long answer. I'll try to keep it <laughs> short. It's a it's a tough world out there right now, especially to make an independent film that then you can try to get people to watch because there's so much stuff to yeah. that's competing for people's attention. Like it's you know, I just released Sadie last fall, and we ended up, we decided to release, do the theatrical release independently, um, and then we worked with Amazon to release it um, through, you know, SVOD, so people can stream it that way, but, like, we did this theatrical release ourselves, and so we did a whole campaign, we did a marketing campaign, social media, digital marketing, all, all that stuff, 
And that for me felt like the, the thing that is the evolving in the most rapid way um, that, you know, I, when we were going to film school in the late 90s, there was, it, I think it was what people would probably call the golden age of independent film where people were getting these big deals mm-hmm. and there was, there was, you know, you know, there was a, maybe a one hundredth of the movies that are submitted to festivals now were being mm-hmm. submitted then, you know, so there wow. was competition, there was like, there was there was less there people were still going to the theater to see movies so people were paying money to watch stuff as opposed to trying to pirate it and download it for free it was just an easier world for distributors and so they you know i think they were more generous to filmmakers and it made you know making a living as an independent filmmaker something that was even possible whereas now i don't i mean i'm working in television now as well as it as film mm-hmm. and TV has really been the only way I've been able to sort of make an actual living in this business. It's because, you know, I wouldn't be able to work in TV if I hadn't done all the features I've done. So it's, it's right. sort of like one thing led to the other thing. But um, but it's so hard to release something, even if it plays at one of the top tier festivals and gets attention from press, it still can just kind of land in theaters with a, with a complete, you know, vacuum you know it just feels like there there's just too many things competing for people's attention so i would just say like people who are getting into it now um to there there's i guess a, a conversation to be had about sustainability of, of making stuff that that you that is small and intimate and and how to balance that the, the you know telling personal stories because i don't i really believe that people need to keep making personal independent films or else we wouldn't all we'd have was franchise movies um so it's like i really want people to keep doing it i want to keep doing it but there's got to be a way to find a balance in a career right between doing that continuing to do that and also you know paying bills and rent and all right making a living do in life and like you know being ready for medical emergencies or you know all that kind of stuff so um so i think if i were in film school right now that's something i just i would want to be have a conversation about and, and think about all the different ways there are to make a living in this business, um, and, and not I, I just don't think anyone should leave film school thinking, okay, I'm gonna make a bunch of money as a director right, right. away. You know, there's just such and I you know I've been doing it for 20 years and I've only been making a decent living at it for like four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's a downer note. Sorry. <laughs> well, but <laughs> you push through, and for four years, it's been it's been good, right? In yeah. I mean, you really just have to love doing it and have yeah. something that you really need to communicate and say to audiences to want to like keep going in it. So I think that's the upside for me is that I find it so rewarding. Like every day I get to be on a set is a good day. Mm-hmm. I feel like people who gravitate to film are are generally great people. I land on TV sets like all over the country in various, uh, just I was in Toronto, so not just this country, but like, mm-hmm. and this is great people surrounding me on all in, on basically every film set I've ever been on. And so I feel like it's, it's a great life, um, but it's not for the weak willed or the faint, you know, it's like, gotta really want it. <laughs> right. And it's sort of the constant, you know, always in the arts, it's a, a struggle, right? If you want to, yeah make art it's going to be probably pretty tough to make a living so (laughs) true 
And I just want to thank uh, both of you for participating. Awesome. Thank you so much.